Our scripture lesson this morning comes from John 3, 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into, the heaven, into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because of their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be Well, thank you for that beautiful reading of the scripture. I need to have you come with me everywhere so that you can, you can do that for me. And John, the music, uh, absolutely perfect for the occasion, but then again, I mean, when you leave it up to God to put things together, things happen the way that they're supposed to. Thank you for letting me be here today. I really do appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Can everyone hear me okay? Okay, good. I've never been known to have too small a voice. I want to share something with you that some of you may remember because I went to school with you. But back in those days, I wasn't very good at math. Sorry, Suzanne, I 
wish you'd been my teacher. It was a subject that eluded me. I never really seemed to quite get the answer. And even when I thought that I had all the steps in the right order, still, more often than not, I would come up short of what I had hoped for. I probably would have benefited greatly from an expert, a really good teacher that would work with me one-on-one -on -one to get that knowledge from here down to here. Because you see, I believe that it's true that in order for us to really understand something, to really know it and to see it for what it is, it has to be more than just a set of facts. It has to be something we feel, something we know, something that we see. Every one of us in this room has likely had that aha moment, right? Where you suddenly saw something that you'd never seen before and it became clear. And the funny thing is there was very little of anything that occurred between the time that you didn't know and the time that you did. If I had to be honest, I would have to say that my lack of success in math was my fault. You see, I didn't really want to put any more effort into it than was necessary to get through it. But math is complicated. And if you really want to understand it, you're going to have to give yourself over to it and do the work before you can actually see it. So you might say that my lack of success was a foregone conclusion. But what if I had really wanted to understand mathematics? Hmm. There was a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had a problem. He had something he wanted to understand. Who was this Jesus, really? Was he more than just a great teacher? And by the way, he was a great teacher. When he taught in the synagogues, no one could disprove the things that he said. He was a master of the word. And they knew that. But what about those miracles? We don't know if Nicodemus was actually present at any of the miracles. Could have been. But he had certainly heard about them. And he knew, and so did other Pharisees, that you didn't do that kind of thing unless God was with you. So what was that connection? As a Pharisee, Nicodemus likely thought the way a lot of us do these days, that God is some sort of a formula, a problem to be solved. If we take the right steps and we do the right thing and we say the right stuff and we behave, mostly, then we get on his good side and voila, problem solved. But Nicodemus was about to find out that the things of God were a little more complicated than that. But his problem had a solution. It was only one step but it was one very big step. So, Will read the scripture for us this morning.
And I'd like to backtrack through that, and I'm going to touch on some things as we go through it. And I want you to watch how Jesus works with Nicodemus to understand the question that he's asked and the answer that he needs to have. So let's start with who was Nicodemus. Scripture tells us he was a teacher and a ruler. In fact, later in the Scripture, Jesus refers to him, if you look at the King James Version, as a master of Israel. He was a smart guy. He knew the law. He knew it inside and out. And he practiced it. He was probably what you and I would have called devout. And he was good at it. In fact, he was so good at it that he taught it to others. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And we're not sure why, but we can speculate a little bit. Perhaps the Pharisaic paperwork had piled up on his desk. And he was late getting out of the office. You know, there's those voicemails and emails to answer. And before you know it, it's dark. But Jesus was on his calendar for today. And he really wanted to get it done. So we went anyway. Or more likely is that Nicodemus was careful. He knew that most of the Pharisees hated Jesus with a passion. And that they were even plotting ways to get him. And so he likely went under cover of night in order to protect himself. But he went. He took the chance because he had to know. Back in those days, before the advent of streetlights, going to someone's house at night wasn't common at all. But he went anyway. He asks Jesus a question in verse 3. Actually, I'll take that back. He makes a statement in verse 2 and says, um, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I think if you look at the way Jesus answers, you realize that Jesus read into Nicodemus' statement what he was really asking, and that was, show me this power behind you. Let me see this kingdom you've been talking about. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I can't just show you the kingdom. Right now, all you see with are your physical eyes. And in order to see the kingdom, you have to be born again by the Spirit. Rejuvenated in such a way that your spirit leads you and you get that open eyes moment that we talked about before. Nicodemus, still using only his natural eyes, answers and says, can a man be born again? Can he re-enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? That can't happen. And Jesus comes back and says, understand what I'm trying to tell you, Nicodemus. You have to be born physically, which is of the water but you also have to be born spiritually in order to see the things that I'm talking about. And don't get hung up on the term born again. I'm trying to describe things in a way that you will understand. And then he says, because I can't take you to heaven and show you everything. Only one has been there, and that is the Son of Man. And he's actually here with you now talking but he's also in heaven at the same time. Have you noticed 
that he said, no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven? How could Jesus be in heaven and be sitting there in front of Nicodemus at the same time? I think it's important to understand that heaven is not some place up there or way over there somewhere, and if I walk long enough or try hard enough, I'll finally get to it. I want you to think of heaven as more what you walk and breathe in every day, much like a person in a swimming pool is surrounded by the water. You swim through the heavens. Heaven is here. It's now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is nigh. It's right here. But much like the water in a pool doesn't automatically go into the person swimming, neither does the kingdom of heaven automatically go into the person who abides in it. But Jesus did abide in it. And so even though you saw him physically, he was also in the other dimension of heaven at the same time. I think everybody, at least sometime in their life, has been introduced or has been pointed out as being a Christian and may have tried at some point to try to explain what that means to somebody who doesn't believe. And you probably got some pretty strange looks. I'm sure that Jesus was getting some fairly strange ones from Nicodemus. Sometimes they think we're crazy, understandably so. We actually know in 1 Corinthians it says, for preaching of the cross to them that, is per that are perishing is foolishness. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God. Nicodemus is, is blown away. How can these things be? And Jesus doesn't cut him much slack. He says, Nicodemus, are you a master of Israel? The one who's supposed to know all of it and teach it? And yet you don't understand this idea that you have to be regenerated? That you have to live in the spirit? and not just in the law. You see, for the longest time, people like the Pharisees had taught that the way to get to God was indeed a formula. It was the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots. You do this and you don't do that and you do this much of this and you only do that much of that and there were laws and rules Hundreds of them that had to be followed. But if you got them all right, you were in good graces with God. It was very difficult to do. Could be why some of the Pharisees sort of lorded that over other people. But they didn't teach real changes of the heart. They didn't teach that you had to live in the spirit of God. They knew they had known for some time. If you go back in the book of Psalms, you look at uh, Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. It says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These are the things that God does not despise. So they understood, but they kind of ignored a little bit. 
And then Jesus kind of gives his credentials. At least that's the way it looks to me. He says, we speak things that we know and we testify to what we have seen and you receive not our witness. Why does he say we? There are scholars who believe that when Jesus says we, he's referring to himself, the disciples, very possibly the prophets of old. But the preponderance of the scholars believe that Jesus is speaking directly of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And those three had been providing the message for God's people for a very long time through various means, including the prophets and the scriptures and now the disciples. And then he says very clearly what the plan of salvation is. But he does this a little bit backwards from what you and I are probably used to. I think that we typically want to start with things like all, all have fallen short, we're sinners, we need redemption, without that redemption we'll die, and then we talk about Christ's sacrifice for us and how we can have new life in Him. Jesus starts at the other end, and He says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And don't mistake this, they knew what the term lifted up meant. It meant crucifixion. It, it was common knowledge. So he says, I'm going to have to be crucified. And then those verses that everybody loves, right? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And my personal favorite, the next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this, most importantly, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So he explains, you've got to believe in me. I'm going to pay a price for you. And if you believe in me, you can live forever. It was probably a little confusing to Nicodemus, I'm sure, just as it's confusing to people that we first tell it to. Because Nicodemus was used to the rules and the behavior and the process and not the surrender so much. Let me talk just for a moment about the word believe. Because I think there's more wrapped up in that word than we typically think. To me, there is a difference between knowing something and believing something. I know that exercise is good for me. If I believed it, I would do it. You see, I think knowledge is the acceptance of the existence of certain facts, but belief is when those facts change your behavior. That's believing. I know that it's dangerous to step near the edge of a cliff. Believing that is what keeps me from jumping off, right? So here, Jesus says, you've got to believe. You've got to dig deep, and you've got to put your faith in me and the price that I will pay for you.
And then he backs up to the tough news about condemnation. And he basically points out the fact that those who don't believe are already condemned. And I think this is an important point. Quite often you'll get questions like, well, if God is so much a loving being, why would he ever send anybody to hell? Well, the truth is God doesn't have to send anybody to hell. You make that choice. You choose whether or not you believe in him or you don't. I always come back to an example I heard years ago where there is a, a tragic failure at sea and the people are thrown into the water and there is no land in sight and death is a surety. It will come. Now, soon or later, everybody in the water will die. They are condemned. But then comes along a ship able to rescue. And to everyone that's pulled into the ship, they are saved. The people in the ship do not have to condemn the people in the water. They're already condemned. The question is, will they be saved? Will they allow themselves to be pulled into the boat? So Jesus lines it up. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase a lot here. Nicodemus, you got a choice. There are those who live in the dark. And in the dark, they hide because their deeds are evil and they don't want to be seen. And they hide their deeds from others and futility leads them to try to hide them from God as well. But those who come into the light they do the things that are pleasing to God and they're happy to have them seen. So what is your choice, Nicodemus? Will it be the light where I am or the dark where you live now? Will it be the good that I represent or the evil which is represented by mankind and their behavior? Is it going to be me or is it going to be you? Which one? Did Nicodemus change? Did he believe? We don't know for certain. We just don't. But what we do know is that Nicodemus is mentioned again a couple of times later in the book of John. At one point, he's found apparently um, defending Jesus before the Pharisees when he asked a pretty tough question of them. Is it permitted in our law to condemn a man before we've heard from him? And the Pharisees did exactly what Nicodemus was afraid of when he went to visit Jesus in the dark. They turned on him and they said, Are you now one of those Galileans as well? Again, later in John chapter 12, we read that nevertheless among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Was Nicodemus in that group? I'm not certain. But one final mention of Nicodemus occurs in chapter 19 where he shows up 
after the crucifixion with 100 pounds of burial spices. That's a lot to carry. That's a lot to pay for. What did he think? Did he think that Jesus really was the Messiah? And if he did, was he confused by the fact that he was now dead? We know the apostles were confused. Or did he think he was just a great teacher, the greatest teacher that he'd ever run across? And he came just to honor the man. Again, we don't know. But the question today is not, did it change Nicodemus? The question is, did it change you? Math is a problem. Life is not a math problem. Thank goodness. There is a simple solution. And it's the man named Jesus, the God who came to reside with us, to show us, to teach us, to lead the way. You know where he is going. And he's gone there to prepare a place for you, that you can be there with him. If you're here today and your knowledge of God still seems to be mostly here, but not here, you have the same opportunity that Nicodemus had. You have the same words of the master teacher right here to lead you to that decision. I would encourage you, if that's the case, you need to surrender today. Be born again. Be regenerated. Have your eyes opened so that you can see the kingdom. And if you're here today and you do know Jesus and he has filled your heart and you can't do enough to pay back the things that he's done for you, have you told anybody? Friends, the most important thing that we can do is look for opportunities to tell somebody how our eyes got open. I'm not talking about stepping out here on Spring Hill Avenue with a boom box and trying to preach to people as they drive by in a car. Although you are more than uh, capable of doing that and, and you have permission to do that. But somewhere along the way, you're gonna run across somebody who asks a question and it will lead down that path of, why do you think that way? How did you come across that? Don't let those opportunities go by. In fact, pray that they happen. Pray that God opens the heart of somebody close to you so that you can say, here's how I dealt with the stuff in my life that was driving me crazy or that I couldn't get over or that I needed support for that nobody on earth could give. This is how it happened to me. Be gentle. Be careful. We're not in seminary. We don't need to be teaching deep theological principles. Just tell them how it happened. Would you pray with me?